It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Lucky Land Casino. Asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The presenting sponsor of today's podcast is Fifth Element CBD. Fifth Element is ultra-high milligram CBD focused on relief and recovery after a workout. They are specially designed for people with an active lifestyle from weekend warriors to professional athletes to bucket list gym enthusiasts. Fifth Element, a.k.a. 5E, is full-spectrum high-milligram hemp to help you whenever, wherever you need it, whether it's after the gym or after work. Get yours today to feel better tomorrow by visiting 5ehemp.com and use the promo code MONSTER for 50% off. Yes, you heard that right. 50% off. Half off. That's 5ehemp.com and use the code MONSTER. Go to 5ehemp and get 50% off. That's the number 5, the letter E, hemp.com. You're listening to the Red Sea Podcast, part of the Over the Monster Network. Red Sox fans have longed to hear it. The Boston Red Sox are world champions. Hosted by Jake Devereaux. It's gone. It's into the bullpen. This game is tied. This game is tied. David Ortiz. David Ortiz. David Ortiz. And featuring Keaton DeRocher. It's a grand slam. I'm telling you. Welcome back to the Red Seat Podcast. This is your host, Jake Devereaux, and today I am joined for episode 210 by Keaton DeRocher of Over the Monster and the Dynasty Guru. Keaton, welcome back to the show, my friend. Happy to be here. Bit of a yeah. happier tune since the last time we talked. Yeah, I was just going to say, like, what a difference a week makes, huh? <laughs> no kidding. 
Yeah, the the tone of the emails that we were getting and uh, everything else is just like completely different uh, from one week to the next. So uh, last time we'd done this podcast, the Red Sox had dropped three games in a row to open up the season to the Baltimore Orioles, which was just despicable. And somehow I still managed to, uh, you know, get through 30 minutes of positives with you, Keaton. That was uh, that was somewhat of a miracle i don't know how we did that yeah well there was a lot to like or or expectations were super low yeah (laughs) one of the two but a lot of the things that we did point out on that episode a lot of the positives that we did point out ended up um you know resulting in in wins over this last week the red sox have won six games in a row uh, they were about to go for seven tonight, but unfortunately, uh, things had to be postponed in Minnesota uh, due to an escalating situation uh, out there. Um, some extremely, extremely disappointing and unfortunate news. Uh, you know, the same old type of news coming out of Minnesota, uh, which is just really sad to see. So hopefully, um, you know, I don't know. <laughs> it's It's tough to know what to say. Uh, with these particular situations, uh, you just hope that things start to get better uh, in our country in regards to to this type of stuff because it you know it, it affects so many things and you know we we wouldn't be political on on this uh, this show at all but like you know the game got canceled because of it so we kind of have to mention it. Yeah, we do, and it, this the stuff just every time it happens we keep saying it's happening too often and yet it just keeps happening. Yep. So, so something's got to change. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So we don't really know what's going to happen with the remainder of the Red Sox series against the Twins. It was supposed to be pretty much all day games, um, you know, happening out in Minnesota and um, a really great series. We have uh, Perez versus Hap that was supposed to go, Evaldi versus Maeda, Erod versus Berrios, Richards versus Pineda. Um, two great lineups, so it, it it's it should be a fun series. Hopefully, it gets played, um, but we'll see what's going on with that. But let's get to the good news here, Keaton. Um, as I mentioned, Red Sox won six games in a row since our last podcast. They are first place in the American League East by themselves. Uh, how shocked are you that we are saying that right now? Well. Considering that six of the first nine games, like, so if you had told me that before the season started and then six of the first nine games were against Baltimore, it wouldn't have seemed like a stretch. Of course, then they got swept by Baltimore. It was a bit more of an uphill battle after that. But um, I think the state of the AL East is really interesting. Uh, I feel like over time, Baltimore will... Uh, start to fade, but the fact that everybody else is jumbled with the same record, it feels like that's that might be what we have going here for most of the season. Um, sole possession of first place, I'd say I'm surprised. Um, but you know, we talked about what the ceiling of this team looked like when they were getting good, consistent pitching, and they were kind of hitting the ceiling of their pitching. Uh, and this is what we expected it could be. It's It just feels surprising that it's happened. Uh, and I'm riding this high as long as I can, but I know that the track records of guys like Evaldi and Perez and Pavetta 
uh, and Richards is really inconsistent. So it feels like the fact that they're all kind of hitting at the same time, kind of like it feels like we're playing with house money. Yeah, it really does. And and I think one of the biggest differences between this year and last year has obviously been the pitching so far and the early going. Uh, Red Sox starters have a team ERA right now over 45 point uh, or 45 in a third innings pitched of uh, 4.37, 4.37 ERA with a FIP of 374. So they've actually pitched really well. Um, and that ERA is just barely behind the other three division teams that are you know, going to be a threat to the Red Sox. Toronto, Tampa Bay, and New York are the three teams directly ahead of them on that list. But um, aside from the Tampa Bay Rays, the Red Sox actually have better advanced metrics than any of those other teams in the division. So um, I think when we were looking at this rotation on paper, Heading into the year, we were thinking that, you know, this rotation could surprise some people and that there were just as many, if not more questions in the Yankees rotation and in the, the uh, Blue Jays rotation. And we're seeing that come to fruition right now. Yeah, exactly. And it's, you know, we hope that it continues, but we know because of all these question marks, like uh, the Yankees are back to like having somebody on the DL every other day uh, or IL sorry uh, Tampa Bay is getting Robbie Ray back but he's coming off a season where he had like a 6 ERA so I don't know if that's necessarily a major upgrade um, you know but they've got their studs Rayu's been good Cole's been good but so is Evaldi right. so they're really kind of matching him step for step so far so it's uh, it feels like Something is going to happen to the Red Sox rotation, a little course correct, but then it'll be up to the offense to keep churning and, and carry them like we kind of expected the season to look. Yeah, and, and if anything does happen, they have so much more depth there too with Tanner Houck waiting in the wings and Connor Seabold and you know Garrett Whitlock or Matt Andrees, who we're going to talk about later in the show, could definitely step into a role there as well. Um, Red Sox relievers, though, are, are, are 12th in all of baseball in terms of team ERA as well. Um, they actually rate quite well in terms of war so far this season. They have the second best bullpen war this season to the Yankees. Um, so Yankees, Toronto, Boston, all in that top five in terms of bullpen war so far, 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 far ahead of the Tampa Bay Rays. So I, I think that what Bloom has done here is he's built – a good amount of depth, uh, in both in the bullpen and in the rotation so far. And we're seeing that because we kind of knew the offense was going to be good, right? Yeah, sure did. Yeah. It's interesting. Um, it's going to be, it's going to be fun to see how this continues to play out. Um, you know, in terms of their hitters, their top five in all of baseball as well. So we know the offense is going to be good. Um, but let's get to it. We have a full show of stuff to talk about. Um, I wanted to kind of do this show as my biggest takeaways from this year and kind of talk about what those takeaways are, hear what your t biggest takeaways are, uh, and, and all that good stuff as we move through this. So I want to lead off my first biggest takeaway from the success that the Red Sox have had over the last six games is Whitlock and Andrees, who I just mentioned. 
Uh, that duo being used in, in what we've dubbed on this show over the years is the Alfredo Aceves role, being able to come in and get bulk innings behind starters, um, go multiple innings in relief roles, even after you know guys are, have pitched well. It's just shortening the game, and it's been such a weapon. Both Whitlock and Andres have been really good. Whitlock especially has looked absolutely unhittable. Um, you know, Cora mentioned the fact that he's like shaking off his catcher as a rule five pick. He just, he seems incredibly confident. He's not walking anybody. Um, having two guys who can fill in this role is really making the game feel like it's not a nine inning game. It feels like a seven inning game sometimes. Yeah, it does. Whitlock has just been incredible. 13 and a half. K per nine and five and a third innings, no walks, like you mentioned. I mean, like it's 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 a lot to put like an Andrew Miller comp on a guy, but he's pretty darn close so far. Uh, and he kind of showed this ability in spring training, and he's kept it going, so it makes it feel like it's sustainable with him. Uh, and it's what a find by Bloom, just super helpful to the bullpen in general to have a guy that can do that. But then you're handing it over to Barnes, who is having a career year so far and just striking out everyone he faces. Uh, Sawamura, who's pitched well. Adovino's had a bit of a walk struggle, but in general, he's been really great, which is exactly kind of what we expected to see from Adovino. So, yeah, it's having that many options in the bullpen, depending on you know, however way the game is going to have those guys to fall back on is huge. And that's, I think, been the biggest takeaway for me is the bullpen because four of the six games have been comeback victories, a couple in extra innings, uh, a couple games where they've come back multiple times within a game. And that's just not something that the 2020 team could do and it has a real 2018 feel to it that no matter what the situation is team's still in it and a big piece of that is because when you get into the later innings keeping it close you have guys like this in the bullpen and then you can hand it over to guys who can close it out and having all of the arms available to go nine plus innings and get a win is just exactly how you want your team to be built and it's not what I had expected from this bullpen so far. Uh, I knew, I mean, we talked about it was going to be better than last year because it just really had to be. Uh, but it has been even better than I had expected, which is great to see. Yeah, and I agree with you uh, that Barnes is is pitching the best that he's ever looked in his career. And it's not even particularly close. Like, he looks like a completely different guy this year yeah. in terms of his ability to throw strikes and use his fastball-curveball combo effectively, getting ahead of guys. It seems like he's keeping guys off balance more. Um, he just looks so confident compared to what we've seen in the past. He doesn't look as frustrated like... He seems like a dude who's absolutely on a mission right now. I don't know whether it was like the competition between him and Ottavino that is spurring this on or whether or not it's the contract year or whatever. I've seen some people tweeting about contract year. Uh, Matt Barnes basically being a cheat code um, and, and he has been so far. It's ridiculous. He has, he's striking out everyone 
everyone and walking no one, which is just like, okay, cool. We're going to just get only good Matt Barnes for this entire year. Sure. Sign me up. So yeah. um, <laughs> it's been nine games. So obviously we're overreacting, but what we've seen from Barnes is just like next level stuff versus yeah, what we've ever seen. Yeah, his career averages, just to put a little bit of context around that, it's like 11.8K per nine, 4.2 walk per nine. And so far this year, he's at 19.8K per nine and 1.8 walks per nine. He's not walking anybody. And because he's not walking anybody, he's striking out eight more batters per nine than he ever has. (laughs) (laughs) Which is like... I'll take it. Holy crap. (laughs) Yeah, that's like best reliever in baseball stuff right now so yeah um i i don't think that it's going to continue to this level because then we pretty much have like prime josh Hader on the team um (laughs) (laughs) so it's probably not going to continue but you know even if even if barnes can continue having the best year of his career that solidifies your your late innings there and in this trio of barnes saramora adovino really is the best trio in the back end that we've had since 2018 that coupled with the two guys, Whitlock and Andres, that can go multiple innings, it's just, it's crazy. You know, you, you do only need really like five innings from your starting pitchers, and anything on top of that is just gravy. And especially, you know, the, the way that the offense has been performing over these last six games too. Um, you know, I mentioned in the top five offense in baseball right now, you're able to give these guys the rest they need. So I wonder how much of this too is just, these back end guys being super fresh because they're not having to pitch over and over and over again and constantly have to keep down opposing offenses because the offense is actually doing their job. And there are lots of nights where we get to toss in Phillips Valdez or, you know, Josh Taylor, even though he stinks or, or whoever, because the game's already out of hand. Yeah. There's one save and it's Matt Andreessen's, which is kind of funny. Not where you have. You would have thought the save would have gone, but they found several different ways to win games, and that requires some creativity on the bullpen's part, and that's exactly what they've been. Yeah, and and we both expected that uh, Sawamura and Ottavino would be good pitchers. I, I think, you know, correct me if I'm wrong, Keaton, but I, I remember us talking about how we were probably more confident in Ottavino and Sawamura than we were Barnes. And maybe that was just Barnes fatigue that we were having because of his walk issues. And it just seemed like, you know, he was kind of the same guy over the last few years and wasn't really progressing. But, you know, Salamora has more than exceeded expectations so far. And Ottavino, despite not having good numbers on the surface, watching him pitch, he's he's looked way better than his numbers suggest. Yeah. And that's, I mean... Having three guys that you can rely on in the back is huge. I mean, that's that's what you see out of all of the like the best bullpen in, in baseball is once it gets to the seventh, it's basically over. Yeah, yeah. And, and I don't know, necessarily know if I feel that way about Sawamura yet, um, but the stuff is so much better than I expected it to be. And the walk issues are not as bad as I expected them to be. No. I mean, he, he didn't really have much of a track record of walks in Japan, but it's difficult to see how that translates. Uh, and his first, you know, what, like four innings or so here has been pretty good. 
Yeah, really has. That uh, 96 mile an hour splitter or whatever it is, just uh, that tough. sold me. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's that's tough. <laughs> Once I saw that thing, I was like, okay, all right. Um, so moving on here from from the bullpen, which has been incredible, and thank you Yankees, by the way, for both Whitlock and Ottavino. Uh, I guess that's, there's a reason why they're the number one bullpen in baseball still, uh, despite giving those guys up. So thank you very much. Um, the starting pitching has been really, really good, one through five. Um, I think the one exception we can we can say is Garrett Richards, who we'll talk about in a little bit. But I just wanted to kind of run through what these guys have done in the early season here. Uh, let's start with the guy who got the opening day start, Nathan Eovaldi. Opening day start for him, 5.1 or 5 in a third innings pitched, four strikeouts, one walk, one earned run versus Baltimore. Followed that up against Tampa Bay with an even better start. Seven innings pitched, seven strikeouts, three walks, one earned run um, versus Tampa. He's looked incredible this year. What what do you think is the difference for Eovaldi versus last couple of years? Like, What's he doing differently in your opinion, if anything? I don't know if he is. I think he's just healthy and confident, and those two things really go a long way. Yeah, yeah. You know what? I I think that could be it. I mean, we're seeing great velo from him, 97 miles an hour. Um, I think one of the things that I'm noticing is he's not as cutter heavy at all uh, this year. Um, Cutter was a pitch that got hit pretty damn hard for him in 2020. Uh, Batters slugged 544 against that pitch. Uh, so as a result, this year he's throwing it 8.9% of the time. Last year he threw it 31.1% of the time. He's throwing his curveball, slider, and a splitter a lot to go along with the four-seam fastball. It seems like he's just kind of like, you know what? Cutter hasn't really worked for me in a couple of years. See you later. I have all these other pitches. Why mess with it? And he's he's throwing it situationally but not in situations where it seems to be getting him in trouble and nobody's hitting his other pitches really. Yeah, that'll do it. I actually yeah. noticed the curve, the, um, the cutter piece to it. So yeah, that is a big change. Yeah. And he's, he's basically exclusively throwing the cutters to lefties right now. He hasn't even thrown a single one of them uh, to right-handed batters. And last year he threw 137 of them to right-handers. So Something to look out for there if that continues with Eovaldi. It looks like he's unlocked something. Um, the command has always been really good with him. So, you know, that's not surprising. And if you go to his uh, baseball savant page, you are going to see a lot of lovely red in terms of him controlling average exit velocity, hard hit rate, WOBA. Everything like that has just been incredible through the first few starts for him. Uh, it seems like he may, may have unlocked another level here at 31 years old. So all of a sudden, he's he's looking like a pretty good deal at $17 million per. Yeah. Yeah. A lot more palatable when he's churning out results like this. Yeah. Uh, next guy I want to talk about is my boy, Martin Perez. It was supposed to be Martin Perez Day today. Um, Perez has only had one start this year, but I really liked what I saw. I'm not sure if you were able to see this start, Keaton, but uh, five innings pitched, six strikeouts, two walks, three earned runs versus Tampa Bay. thing that stood out to me was actually the velocity there. He was pumping 94 quite often. Um, 
you know, he, he could touch that uh, in past years, but it seemed like it was a little bit harder than we've seen him throw. Sinker was like 93 miles an hour on average. Uh, that pitch was about 92 miles an hour last year. Uh, he just looked a little bit more confident to me. What what did you see when you watched Perez? Yeah, I mean, it seemed like, a, I mean, I guess maybe slightly more on the strikeout side, but it seemed like a like a Perez start. I mean, it was nearly uh, a quality start. Just couldn't get that sixth inning under his belt, but, you know, it's early. Still building up those pitch counts. Um, two walks, three runs, five innings. The six strikeouts is nice. He's never really had uh, that piece to his game, but it seems like that's starting to emerge. Uh, I mean, his previous best K per nine was seven in 2019. And uh, I mean, through one start, it's 10.8. So we'll see, you know, how that corrects itself going forward. But when you take a guy who is basically like a quality start pitcher and up his ability to miss bats, then you got yourself an above average pitcher. So let's see if you can keep that going going forward. Yeah, I hope so. Um, we, we've seen the ability of, of him over the last couple of years to really limit hard contact. We're seeing that again. Uh, this year, um, again, another one of these guys, you pull up the StatCast page after one start and everything is in incredible looking right now. So we'll see if he can continue to manage that hard contact, but really nice to see. Um, it seems like the Red Sox have a lot of these pitchers who are in that sort of sweet spot of their careers. It feels like to me that these days pitchers don't necessarily hit their stride until their late 20s, early 30s. And we're seeing like the best version of pitchers in their early thirties, which, you know, I wish I, I wish I was the best version of myself in my early thirties, but you know, <laughs> here I am. Um, but you know, Perez is thirty years old. Uh, Get Richards thirty two. Nathan Evaldi's thirty one. Like all these guys are throwing great right now. Yeah, especially Evaldi. That's I mean that's the one that's the gem right there. Is if this is what we thought we could get from a healthy Evaldi. Now we just want to see it for like 150 innings just to see really what his ceiling could be and how good he is. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. That would be very nice. Um, Eduardo Rodriguez. I want to talk about him. His first start out versus Baltimore was okay. Um, you know, it, it wasn't by any means the best we've seen from Erod. Five innings pitched. Seven strikeouts, no walks was good, um, three earned runs. First inning, he didn't look good at all. Um, and it was pretty clear to me that he was shaking off either some nerves or some rust or whatever was going on there. He settled in as the game went on. Um, I'm curious as to how confident you are in him right now uh, based on that first start, or, or do you just need to simply see more from him? I think I'm still pretty confident. I mean, the the no walks and seven strikeouts is big. So, I mean, he did struggle, gave up three runs, only got through five innings. His velocity was slightly down, like half a mile an hour to his uh, career average. But I think that's to be expected given that he missed a year and then missed half of spring training. Coming into it, I don't know what I, what we were really kind of looking at, but it wasn't that far off. So, I mean, 
that piece looked fine. Velocity looked fine. He was missing bats. His control was good. I'm still pretty confident. Yeah, I, I think I am at the point where I'm going to reserve judgment until I see a couple more starts from him. You know, I, I just need to see it a little bit more because he looked like a different guy in the later innings of that game. He looked like he was throwing his pitches with more conviction. Um, pitch mix is definitely a little bit more all over the place than it has been in the past, just to, in terms of him spreading his offerings out. It seems like he and Eovaldi have sort of taken this tact where, hey, you know, I throw four or five good pitches. Why not throw all of those pitches? Um, and, and so I wonder if that's something that he will continue to do or whether or not he was just trying to get a feel for all of his offerings. He's one where, you know, I'm I'm confident because of the track record uh, there. We've seen healthy Erod be pretty good uh, and exceptional at times. But, you know, I would be lying if the dead arm didn't worry me to some degree. And also, it just seems like every year there is some sort of a health issue <clears throat> with Erod. So I guess I am... I'm cautiously optimistic after the first start. That's fair. I think something that's worth noting, too, is he did not throw his fastball a whole lot at all. Only 16% of the time. 25% of the time he went to the cutter. I think that is going to be interesting to watch going forward to see if that mix continues and if he's kind of laying off the four seam. Yeah, that is going to be interesting. I wonder if that is going to be a trend uh, it wouldn't be the worst thing considering, you know, his four seam was kind of hit around a little bit in past years. Uh, batter slugged 482 against the pitch in 2019. So, yeah, maybe there's something there. As he's something gotten better, yeah, as he's gotten better every year, his usage of his four seamer has gone down and down and down and down and down. So, if we follow that trend, then he should be like a 2.2 ERA guy <laughs> if he's throwing it 16% <laughs> of the time. Yeah. Not sure the correlation's linear there, but something to watch. Well, I would like that. Yeah. Um, Nick Pavetta, uh, who I think it's fair to say I expected very, very little out of uh, coming into this year, has been better than expected from a results standpoint. His first outing, he went five innings, struck out four, uh, walked four guys, which I don't like to see, gave up zero earned runs versus Tampa Bay. In the second outing this past weekend versus Baltimore, he went six innings pitch, struck out seven, which was pretty good, um, walked three, so that's good, a little bit less, but four earned runs, bunch of those on a home run later in the game. He's definitely doing better than I expected. I, I'm going to hold off on giving my take on Pavetta, but what is your take on Pavetta so far? Yeah, he's been better than I expected, for sure. Um it, the, yeah, that second game is really tough. Gave up a three-run bomb um, when he was a strike away from getting out of the sixth inning. Not sure he should have been left in there, but at that point it didn't matter. Um, Red Sox had like what was ten it? runs. Yeah, I was say they're in the double digits by then already, so it yeah. didn't really matter. Um, but it's tough to because he, he he pitched better than that, and he he deserved a better line than that. Yep. Um, so it's, it's easy to not hold that last one against him, but, um, he's, yeah, he's been way better than I expected. I mean, Pavetta is a guy that I have avoided aggressively 
uh, and we've talked about on the fantasy baseball podcast that we do is a guy that I have no interest in whatsoever. Um, but he is significantly better than he's been in the past. I mean, even with that outing, um, his ERA is about three runs below his career average through two starts. Uh, and that's pretty significant. So, I mean, the walks are concerning. Got to see those reeled in over the next couple outings here. Um, but I also expect that to happen because they're about two walks per nine above his career average. So it feels like that's going to correct itself. Uh, and with that correcting itself, you know, hopefully there's more strikeouts there. He's still limiting contact, and he could be a pretty solid find there at the back end of the rotation. Yeah, I'm going to be curious. The big thing with him uh, that I've seen so far that I've liked, I'll start with the positive for for Pavetta, is the four-seam fastball. The velo on that thing has been pretty crazy uh, for him. It's been 94.9 miles an hour in his first two starts. That pitch averaged a little bit less than 93 miles an hour. So that's almost a two-mile-an-hour difference. It's actually a little bit over two miles an hour, 2.1 miles an hour difference between what he was throwing that pitch in 2020. Um, And the results are drastically different uh, so far. His... Woba on that pitch is 322. Uh, it was 429 on that pitch. So uh, not even in the same realm. Uh, the the, the four-seam is a, is a straight-up weapon for him, and he's throwing it more than 50% of the time right now. That's great. I like his slider. I'm still not sure if the curveball is a good enough pitch um, for him. I'm going to be really interested to see how those secondaries play. Because it's clear to me that if he can maintain this fastball velocity, he's a completely different pitcher. Um, yeah. it, two miles an hour is a lot. Like, yeah, yeah. That's going to help out anybody. Um, but, you know, whether or not these sliders and curveballs that he's throwing can can be put away pitches for him consistently, um, that's what I'm going to be watching for. Yeah, I think I'm right there with you. Uh, he's I've been very pleasantly surprised, but it feels like it's – trending towards sustainable yeah it looks that way and and he just looks more confident too he he looks like he has a new lease on life with the red Sox, which is you know it's awesome to see yeah all right last guy we have to talk about keaton is your boy the spin doctor garrett richards as uh eck is taking to calling him um because of his exceptional spin rates. And by the way, they are quite good this year and they're the best on the team. Uh, but what hasn't been the best on the team is his results are early on. We know that he had the rough start, so we won't recap that. But Garrett Richards' second start after being blown up the first time was five innings pitched, four strikeouts, three walks, two earned runs, both of which were off of home runs. I am still concerned, Keaton. I watched his quote-unquote good start here, the second good start. Um, I still thought he was too wild. He was still yanking too many pitches. His slider doesn't have the movement that I expect of a Garrett Richards slider right now. Um, The home runs, you're giving up two home runs. You're lucky those are solo shots. This could have been way worse. I am not feeling like I'm out of the woods with Garrett Richards yet. I... Do feel like we're out of the woods. Well, getting out of the woods. Uh, you're right about the walks. Unfortunately, that's 
kind of been a, a part of his game is typically like in the upper threes, close to four walks per nine. Been a little bit worse than that so far. So I'd like to see that get corrected. But second outing was a lot better than the first. And um, I just need to see more than seven innings from him. Because I, I know he's better than this. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Yeah, I hope so. Um, I am a little bit worried, and I'm curious if you're worried about the fastball velo. It's averaging 93.8 miles an hour right now. Last year, it was averaging over 95. Is that concerning to you? Yeah, it is. Me too. I mean, you just Uh, laid out what the difference of two miles an hour can make for Nick Pavetta and a guy that has great stuff and the spin rates of Garrett Richards. That, yeah, that two miles an hour would make a huge difference on him. Yeah, it really would. And and we're seeing it bear out a little bit here in the numbers. Uh, 440 Woba versus 312 on that pitch last year. Um, I'm worried if, if, if he can't get that velo back. He's so reliant on those two offerings. And uh, if that slider is not doing what it usually does, it, it definitely seems to have taken a little bit of a step back so far this year. He was getting a 26.4% put away percentage on that pitch last year, put away rate. Uh, it's 18.8 this year. Uh, if both of those pitches have taken a step back, it's just a little bit concerning. I'm a little bit worried that this could be a health thing that just is maybe bubbling under the surface. Um, we know that Garrett Richards has had a health issues in the past. He doesn't seem like a fully healthy pitcher just anecdotally looking at the numbers right now um could be mechanical he has said that before uh he definitely is one of these guys with a much more violent motion than i remember you know yeah i i saw him maybe once or twice a year before now i've seen him twice in a couple weeks um but he definitely does yank the ball and fall off the mound quite a bit and uh results haven't been great so i'm a little bit concerned there do you think that it, it's mechanical with him, or do you think that there could be some sort of an issue injury-wise? Honestly, it could be both. I mean, when you have like you know, something not so right in your body, you tend to adjust your mechanics so that like it doesn't hurt as much when you throw. It's very likely it could be both. Yeah. Well, it's, a, it's something to keep an eye on. Um, yeah. if, if anybody has to go down, I mean um, – Luckily, the Red Sox are in a good enough position where they should be able to to deal with that. Um, maybe a little bit of extra time here with the postponed game. Um, if that pushes him back another day, maybe that's a little bit of a help to him as well. So, 
But overall, I mean, this rotation is just so different than it was last year, isn't it? Sure is. It's a lot more fun. Way more fun. All right, though. So uh, my next observation has to do with the offense. And uh, I wrote down here, the guys who are supposed to be carrying the offense are carrying the offense. Particularly the guys I want to focus on today, J.D. Martinez, Rafael Devers, Christian Vasquez, and Xander Bogarts are all performing up to expectations. But J.D. Martinez, holy crap, man. J.D. Martinez leads all of baseball with 1.1 F4 has a 3.22 WRC plus and is leading the MLB with five home runs and 16 freaking RBIs. Uh what? Where did this come from? Yeah. Um. Are you still concerned about him? <laughs> no. No. Not at all. Like, I didn't. So, I guess I didn't understand how big of a deal video was to him. Like. <laughs> Yeah, I, well, I think it's a it's two things. One is the video piece, a little bit of kind of getting back to normal, being able to make the in-game adjustments that he normally does. But also, I think he's pretty annoyed with 2020. In general, just how he performed, but also um, basically how people reacted to it and everybody being pretty down on his performance. I think he was really annoyed by that. And he's kind of out there to be like, listen, I'm still J.D. Martinez. And that's exactly what he's doing. The Sox couldn't have given him away in the offseason. No. <laughs> no, they could they not. They would have had to like give a prospect for someone <clears throat> to take him. And most of his cash. Yeah. Dude is slashing 472, 500, 1,083 is his slugging percentage right now. He had three dingers yesterday. This is a whole lot of fun, man. Currently, right now... He has a uh, a major league record tying streak uh, with extra base hits to start the season. He's now tied with A-Rod in Sandy Alomar with eight games in a row with an extra base hit to start the season. Um, his stack cast page is just dumb. You look at it and it, it's, it's like, oh, okay, cool. Um, 90th percentile or higher in everything. Exit velocity is Rafael Devers-esque. It's 95.2 miles an hour average exit velocity. Um, And he's slugging against everything. He's hitting fastballs, which he didn't do last year. He's hitting breaking balls. He's hitting off-speed pitches. He's slugging over a 1,000 versus all of those pitch types. Granted, you know, it's only been eight games for him, but that's absurd. Yeah. What about that 33 percentile sprint speed, though? That's tough. Yeah, it's not good. He's pretty slow. <laughs> <laughs> but you know what? Eleven ISO. That's just that's dumb. It is. It's... And I don't know about you, but so he's off to this great start, and then he had to miss a game because he had a cold. And I was like, "Damn it! Wasn't that a bummer? He was so hot. This is probably going to be a bit of a hiccup, huh?" Nah, he just goes out there and hits three dingers. That's all. <laughs> Yeah, I wasn't expecting that. That's that's nope. for sure. I was like, I was thinking the same thing. I was like, yeah, this is probably going to affect his game a little bit. But, you know, I guess he used that time when he was feeling a little under the weather to uh, maybe study the opposing pitcher. So, good. That exit velocity, him. though, I mean, um, the stat cast data, I think it's like 40 batted balls before you start to to see like real reliable numbers out of it so there is a, a 
a grain of the small sample size to it. Uh, but 28 batted balls is not that far off. Uh, and he's hammering the ball four miles an hour harder than he ever has. That is just dumb. It is. It's dumb in a very good way. Um, and I'm, I'm very encouraged to see it. He was the guy in the offense who I was most worried about. And, and the big reason why is because a lot of times with a batter, when you stop being effective against fastballs, it's just really hard to go back to the level of being an elite hitter. And and he struggled mightily against fastballs last year. He only slugged 366 against them, batted 179 versus fastballs. Uh, he's batting 529 versus fastballs in this early going, um, slugging 1,000. That probably won't keep up. Uh, I'm just going to, you know, I'm really taking a – Taking a step out there on a limb, <laughs> saying that's not going to keep up. Um, but if he can cure and just get back to what he was doing in 2019 or ideally 2018 against fastballs where he was much better, um, that'd be great. It'd be just transformative. In 2018, he slugged 687 against fastballs. 2019, it was 577. Um, you know, he, he just needs to be good against fastballs again. And we know he can hit breaking pitches. Yeah. And that's, I mean, we talked about him being the catalyst for that lineup too. And when he's going right, it feels like the whole lineup is going right. Uh, And that's pretty much what we've been seeing. Yep. Yep. He's been awesome. Uh, And what this does for the offense too. Offense has been good even in past years uh, with, you know, him not being his best version of himself. Um, guys like Devers and Bogarts have been able to carry the offense and guys like Christian Vasquez taking a step forward. But I mean, this lineup is, is, is going to be a threat for top offense in the American league, um, with a JD Martinez hitting like he can and what he did in his prime. That's, it's just transformative. It is Christian Vasquez though, to transition to him is, hitting like the best catcher in baseball right now. Yeah. Speaking of fastballs, dude is slugging 570 <laughs> or uh, batting 579 against fastballs in the early going. Yeah, that's rather good. He's also, he's only striking out 13% of the time, which is super duper strong. Uh, he's actually tied for the lead in war for catchers at 0.6. And he's added a couple steals. Dude's doing it all. Yeah, the the fact that he's stolen two bases and has two home runs at this point in the season uh, and that the team is confident enough in his bat right now to be DHing him on days that he's not catching, it's just phenomenal. Um, I never thought that we would see a, a, a time when Christian Vasquez would be regularly played at the DH spot. That's crazy to me. Yeah. But it's but, kind of surprising. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it totally is. Um, but he's been awesome. Like you said, Keaton, um, numbers are just clearly there for him. 189 WRC+, 382, 417, 647 in the early going. That's a slash line. Uh, incredible um, performance from him. We talked about him as being a top five catcher in all of baseball. I don't think that's debatable at this point. No, it is not. Firmly in there. 
All right, moving on to Rafael Devers. Um, started off the season rough, and this has been a trend for him over the last few years. Really, since his career started, he's been a very slow hitter in April. It's been his worst month, March and April has, uh, the very beginning of the season. Um, Devers is apparently figuring out April. Uh, had two home runs yesterday in the same game that, uh, or two days ago as you're listening to this, that J.D. Martinez had three home runs. He's got 10 RBIs on the season, slashing 250, 351, 625 with a 160 WRC+. Plus. Uh, if Devers is hitting this well in April, I'm going to go out and say that the claim I made on the radio that he would be a top three MVP guy is looking pretty damn good right now. Yeah, that's what's scary about this. Like, the in 2019... The area of 32 bombs. I don't think he had a home run the first month of the season. And then he really turned it on. And then, what, it tied the major league record or broke the major league record for extra base hits? Yeah, he had 90 extra base hits as a 22-year-old. Yeah. And so if he's already here in April, it's kind of mind-blowing what he's going to look like in a month. (laughs) Yeah, it's scary. It's scary for the rest of the league. If he is hitting like this and J.D. Martinez is hitting like that and you know Bogey's going to be Bogey, like, holy crap. It's going to be pretty darn fun to watch. I love it. I absolutely love it. And you know what I've been loving too? And this is not new for Devers. Maybe I'm just appreciating it more. But the full conversations he has with himself when he's up at the bat. (laughs) Yeah. It's just, it's hilarious to me. All Um, of his facial expressions. Oh, they're cre- they're incredible. In in the Zoom call, uh, facial expressions afterwards too. Chris Smith was pointing this out. It's just it's so funny <laughs> the expressions that he makes. Um, and and how about that defensive play too? On uh, I think it was Sunday when he dug out that ball, uh, hard hit ball, third base, made an awesome throw, clean hop to the first baseman. Uh, to get the runner by a step. It was an extremely important defensive play in that game. Saved a um, run, maybe two. Yeah, and and you know what? Just showing confidence. Um, once he gets going at the plate, I think Devers gets going out in the field too. He's sort of one of these guys that feeds off of both sides of the ball. Um, we had our roundtable this past week about how much leash to give him, and both you and I were, uh, and I, I think Shelly was on, on board with this too, uh, we're all like, we're giving him a ton of leash. Like, dude can play the position. We know he can do it, and this is just further evidence of that. Like, he can do the, he can, he can field the position when he needs to. Sure can. And I pointed out too that like he feeds off of both sides. I mean that along with his slow start at the plate, he tends to have a slow start in the field. But then by the time we get to the All Star break, we're wondering like, is this guy gonna win a Gold Glove? Because he <laughs> makes plays like that on the regular, and then you're like. Wow, why isn't he more consistent? Because that would just kind of blow everybody's minds. <laughs> yeah, I think he's to put it to put it nicely. I think he's a bit of a head case, and I think Cora that is be. the best possible antidote for that. Um, he seems to be able to get the best out of him. So uh, that combination is is huge, and I hope that you know Devers and Cora are pretty intertwined for their careers. I think that that is an excellent pairing. They're like wine and cheese. They need to be together. Um, Xander Bogarts, my favorite player in all of baseball. Sorry, Juan Soto. 
Uh, has zero home runs on the season, but is slashing 375, 429, 438 with a 143 WRC+. Plus. Uh, he hasn't found his power stroke yet. He did deal with a little bit of shoulder pain uh, early in the season. Didn't really start spring training till a little bit later. Uh, struggled at the plate early, but then started going the opposite way on everything, which he's such a good hitter. He can do that seemingly without problem. Are you at all concerned about Devers or uh, Bogarts getting to his power this year, or is this just something that's going to come as he gets healthier? Yeah, it's going to come. I mean, I would be more concerned if we were seeing other issues in his stat line, but we're not. So it's just he hasn't gotten into it, gotten into the ball yet, but that's going to change. Mm. Okay. Yeah, I have zero concerns either. I still think he'll probably end up with close to 30 home runs, if not 30 home runs. Uh, on the year. Um, bogey is going to be bogey. He's the least of my concerns out of anybody in the lineup. Um, so good sign there. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's just, it's a good sign when your offense is doing what it's supposed to with the guys that are supposed to do that. Um, let's get to my next point here. And this is something that we had two readers um, or listeners, I should say, point out. Uh, and they were talking about Dahlbeck uh, instead of Renfro, but I'm going to lump these guys together. Uh, Hunter Renfro and Bobby Dahlbeck have been the only super disappointing hitters on the team thus far. Renfro actually has a negative 13 WRC+. Dahlbeck's is at 8. Yep, just 8. Um, we get two questions, one from Sean uh, and one from Shy Sullivan. Sean says, would love to hear your thoughts on Dahlbeck's struggles at the plate. Is it worth bringing Chavis back into the mix and giving Bobby a bit more time in AAA? And then Shy Sullivan says, what do you suppose Bobby Dahlbeck's biggest issues is hitting in the bigs? Uh, Keaton, you looked into it, this for us, the struggles of both of these guys. Can you talk about what's going on with both of these hitters? Yeah. Um, Dahlbeck is getting pitched differently than he was last year. Um, he hardly saw any change-ups in 2020, and pitchers have cranked that knob up to about a quarter of the time. Now he's seeing change-ups. And he's just getting toasted on the fastball change-up combo. Um, when he wasn't seeing a change-up and he was looking at more, it was just a fastball or a breaking ball, uh, he was hammering it, and he was really on top of it. But now he's getting fooled with a hefty dose of change-ups mixed in there. So he's just going to need to work on adjusting to that new approach that guys are giving him and, and working on recognizing the situation when he's going to be getting a, a change up over a fastball and being able to adjust and, and not be you know too far out in front on these things. Uh, that's really the biggest thing that I could see. Um, you know, he surprisingly has, uh, you know, he's walking at, a 36% rate, but it's 6% less than he was, or sorry, not walking, striking out at a 36% rate, which is 6% less than 2020. Um, obviously, it's still far too high, but he's not striking out as much, which is a plus. But it's just the sequence of pitches that he's seeing is different, and he needs to now adjust to that, which is it's going to be tough because it's not um, – like an aggression thing where he needs to swing the bat more or he's getting fooled on pitches outside of the zone and needs to lay off him or something like that. It's just he's strategically being pitched different, and so now it's time for him to adjust back to that. 
Do you think that there is anything to the idea of bringing Chavis back up, or do you continue to want to run Dahl back out there and give him the same sort of leash that Chavis was given when he was trying to adjust to the major leagues? Yeah, I mean, Chavis was given like two seasons. So right. it's tough to to kind of pinpoint. Uh, you know, part of it is the, the Red Sox were bad and they didn't have any other options. Um, so Chavis was given that leash, but he was given all the chance in the world to take a roster spot and run with it. The difficult part now, though, is if you bring a Chavis up and start giving him more of the at-bats, like we're still, what, three weeks away from AAA and a minor season. So, like, he wouldn't right. be getting a pass right now, which I think would be a major problem. So the major leagues is where he can get at-bats. So at least for the next, you know, three weeks, four weeks, he's going to need to figure it out at the major league level. Yeah, I mean, I, I would obviously like to see Dahlbeck doing better right now. Um, however, I'm not that concerned um, because what we've seen from Dahlbeck over the course of his minor league career has been struggling at a level for a month or two sometimes even, and then figuring out the level. Um, and one of the things that I've noticed from watching Dahlbeck in addition to all the things you mentioned, Keaton, is just being a little bit too passive at the plate. He's letting a lot of hittable pitches go by him, and I think that he's almost trying to be a little bit too cautious, a little bit too selective, and I think um, maybe Cora needs to preach his his do damage, you know, swing at more pitches type thing. There's a lot of pitches going past him where, you know, I'm thinking to myself, man, I bet he wishes he had that one back. Yeah, his Z swing percentage is up 4% from last year, though. So he's swinging at pitches in the zone. But you're right. It's the it's those change-ups in the zone that he's not expecting that he's getting hammered on. And those are the pitches that he should be able to do a ton of damage on. Yeah, and I also think that he's a threat to pitches that are outside of the zone as well because he's such a big guy. He does have such long levers. Um he can connect with pitches outside of the zone and hit those to the opposite field for power too. So um, in general, like just swing more. doesn't even have to be in the zone swings, just swing more. Um, and I feel weird saying that for a guy who does have strikeout issues. But when you watch Dahlbeck, the thing you notice about him versus watching a Chavis is just that he seems to be able to get to more pitches. Um, and he always kind of has stood out in that way to me that he he seems to just have more plate coverage than Chavis yes which is why I feel um more positive in his ability to turn it around yeah me too me too uh let's get to Renfro though um I know that he's a, a favorite of yours Keaton he hasn't been getting a ton of playing time but because he has been struggling so mightily I think that if there's any one spot on the roster that I think is most in danger of being swapped out, it would be Renfro for Duran at some point this season. How concerned are you with his early season struggles? I'm concerned, but it his underlying stats are puzzling. Like I don't know if I can really pinpoint anything. The only thing like we talked about when we were before we were recording. The only thing that jumps out to me is his O swing and Z swing percentages, which are the percentages that he's swinging. O swing is outside the zone. Z swing is inside the zone. They're both up about like 12, 13%. But he's not striking out. So he's being like overly aggressive, but he's not missing the pitches. He has the 20% strikeout rate, 
which is the lowest strikeout rate of his career. It's never been that low. So it's puzzling that maybe he's being too aggressive outside the zone um, and he's, you know, fouling off pitches or not making solid contact on pitches um, and maybe laying off those would kind of help correct his line. It, I just don't see anything like that's real major. I mean, he's not super, well, I mean, I guess the power, right? We're looking for something there with the power, but it, that's his calling card, right? Right. And so, I mean, you're not looking for him to be hitting like, 280 290 you're looking for 240 250 and 30 plus bombs uh and i don't see anything in his line that tells me he's not going to get there so i think he's just having a rough start but he's not being like real overpowered by anything yet so i just think it's just a classic slow start and you know let's let's give it another couple weeks and see where he's at yeah, and he'll get the time too. I, I think he'll get at least two more months. Um, if if we make it to the end of June, Duran is hot and Renfro is still doing this, then I think it's going to be pretty easy for the team to look at this and be like, okay, we needed to make a change here. Um, but Renfro will have plenty of time to prove that this is just a slow start and something that he can overcome. So it seems like we're not overreacting to either of these if you had to put a worry meter on a scale of 1 to 10 on Dahlbeck, what would it be? Probably a 7. Okay, that's pretty high. I'm a, I'm a little actually. worried, yeah. What about with Renfro? What would you be on him? Like a 4 or 5. Okay, I will flip those for me. I'm like a 4 or 5 on Dahlbeck and a 7 on Renfro. So, that is interesting. Let's move on uh, to Franchi Cordero. Uh, my takeaway with Franchi is that watching him so far, he is a much more complete hitter uh, than I expected him to be. I think that when he came in here, he was kind of billed as being very similar to Renfro and sort of this all or nothing guy with a lot of swing and miss. But what I've been seeing from him uh, over the course of his short period of time here is that his swing is a little bit more complete. There are fewer holes in it. Uh, he's slashing 333, 364, 429 with a 118 WRC+. And had just a really great at bat in his pinch hit appearance versus Baltimore. I believe that was on Saturday uh, where he pinch hit for Arroyo. Uh, by the way, I just want to say I love that Cora has the flexibility to do that and then take a guy like Marwin and move him from the outfield to second base. That's such a weapon for this team to be able to do things like that whenever they want. So I get the plan with Bloom having all these defensively versatile guys. Um, Franchi's really interesting, man. I, I kind of think that we may have been misled by the huge strikeout numbers from Franchi. There seems to be a little bit more here. Maybe. <laughs> He's throwing some cold water on it, huh? Yeah, I mean, I, I agree I've been pleasantly surprised with what we've got, but 36% strikeout rate just feels like that's due for some correction. Yeah, that's high. That's very high. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's like the other, I'm looking at his, his stat line, and the other season where he was um, slashing something similar to this was with 35 strikeouts, hitting three thirty three. And it was in nine games. 
in mm-hmm. 2019, and he's you know he's played eight games and he's slashing 333. But in both seasons where he made it further than nine games, he was hitting 228 and 237. Mm. So it feels like it's that small sample ish, but I do agree he's been different than I expected to start. But it feels like that's due for a bit of a correction. Yeah, it could be. Um, I also wonder, you know, what type of development could still take place here with him. Um, He feels a little bit more like a ball of clay at this point. He's still just 26 years old. And over the course of his career, he really hasn't played many games at all. Dating back to 2017, uh, through this year, he's played less than a full season. He's played in 103 games. So I'm not sure we have enough data from all those years to even really know what Franchi is. I'm not sure Franchi knows what Franchi is right now. Maybe. Certainly possible. This, yeah. The, the strikeouts and, and lack of walks to go with it makes it feel like this line is not sustainable, but... Maybe it is, you know, or something close Look, to it. Maybe not 333, but maybe like, you know, it's something a lot more respectable, like 280. Yeah, I don't think he's a 300 hitter. Uh, don't get me wrong. I, I think he's like a, I could see him being a 270 hitter. I think that if you got between 260 and 270 with good defense and some power, you'd be thrilled with it. Yeah, I think that's fair. Yeah, that's what I'm looking for, basically. Final thing, uh, final observation here uh, is just that I love the extra innings rule. And I know that this is going to be a very unpopular take amongst a lot of people. It seems like the, the OTM crew especially uh, has, has been pretty old school. But I love it, man. I, I don't want to stay up till 3 a.m. You know, with the relievers that we have in the game today. Uh I love that the fact that they're throwing this guy at second base and manufacturing runs and even, you know, a big fly gets the guy to third base and it's great. I love it. What do you think of the extra innings rule? I hate it. I hate it so much and I can't (laughs) believe you like it. And, you know, I have an extra hour to watch games, but I still don't care if it goes until like two in the morning. But I like my issue with it is when you get to extra innings, like you got to earn that win and get that run. And when that runner scores from second, it's literally an unearned run. So I don't feel like you earned that win. So I, I, I just hate it so much. The only way that it's, it can be like mildly palatable for me. Um, and I actually, I don't know if this is going to be the case. Probably could have looked this up before, but I still wanted to have this take anyway. It feels like the shootout in hockey, right? Which I love. Yeah, and then it goes away when you get to the postseason, and you got to earn right. that win. So if they're not doing this in the postseason, when the, you know every single game matters, I guess I can deal with it. But I hate it. I still hate it so much because I feel like there's going to be. I mean, the Red Sox have already gotten two extra inning wins. Uh, one of them with the help of this rule. One of them not so much because they ended up scoring two runs anyway. Right. Um. But it feels like if a team runs into like four or five of those over the course of the season, that that can jump them, you know, a few spots in the standings into a wild card position and get them into a, a playoff series that they probably shouldn't have been in. 
So I, I'll need to see a full season sample of it, but I'm trending towards hating it a whole lot. But everybody's in the same boat. So, like, if they're getting an extra four or five wins that you, like, don't think they deserve, you know, other teams have that same opportunity. Not necessarily. They may not have been in as many extra inning games. Well, that's their fault for not getting it tied. <laughs> I mean, yeah. Yeah, I guess you could say it's not their fault for just winning more in general. <laughs> But yeah, I mean, that's the thing, too, is I agree with you that the run is easy to score. Um, But as uh, Aaron Boone, who I can't believe I'm quoting right here, said, like, you know, it feels like you have to score two to win these games because the run is so easy uh, to get in. Like you said, you know, you can have one big fly to the outfield that advances the runner to third and another that scores the run. You know, so <laughs> there, right. you could not record a hit, outs. but still score the game or score the it, game winning run. And that's just, and for pitchers too, like, um, for fantasy purposes, uh, I lost the, uh, losses category in one of my head to head leagues because, uh, Garrett crochet, the white Sox yesterday went two innings, didn't give up an earned run, but took the loss because that stupid runner from second scored. So that's another reason I hate it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I I get that. I get that. But also, you know, with uh, the amount that our relievers are striking out uh, batters these days, like, I don't know. It's, it's an all-time high strikeout rate for relievers. So I will say that the uh, extra inning game against Tampa Bay was really entertaining. And, yeah. you know, Tampa scored, or I actually forget who was the home team in that series, but whatever it was, when they first got to like the first inning, they both scored it, um, and I think it happened again too. Before then, the Red Sox scored two or something. I don't know. It was an entertaining extra innings game, but I still hate it. Come on, Keaton, evolve or die. It's one of those things where, like, if it becomes common practice, it'll, it'll just kind of. It'll, I'll turn numb to it, but I, right now I hate it. I feel like by the end of the year, you're going to be like, this isn't so bad, but we'll see. I'll check in with you remotely uh, to, to see how you're enjoying this. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, all right. So let's get to a, so a few listener questions here before we end the podcast. A few real quick ones. Uh, the first one comes from Alcoholics Anonymous. Uh <laughs> And uh, he says, how sustainable is this hot streak? Uh, did we fall ass backwards into a well-balanced team? Or is this just a bit of early luck? Uh, Keaton, what's your gut feeling with this? Hot streak or good team? Early luck. As we talked about in the beginning, like the history of the Red Sox starters to be inconsistent is pretty well documented. And right now, they're all hitting and being consistent. And it just feels... Like I said, playing with house money, that it's all happening at the same time. It feels like some of these guys are going to hit roadblocks and real rough patches that last a few starts. And uh, it's really nice that it's all happening now and in tune with the offense scoring like 13 runs a game. So it feels like it's luck right now. But something that could happen multiple times throughout the season where they go on streaks of like five, six, seven wins in a row. Yeah. Uh, I... I will answer the next question from Grant Salzano, who says, is this 2013 part two or what's the deal here? Kind of going off of the same type of vein of question. Um, 
you know, I don't think this is 2013. I don't think this is we've caught lightning in a bottle. It's way too early to tell. But I I believed before the season that this was an 86-win team. So I was already more bullish on them than you, Keaton. And I think that if they get the type of production from the starting pitching and from the bullpen, you know, I, I think it's quite possibly a 90-plus win team. So I guess I, I am more in line of thinking this is a good team that's going to compete for a playoff spot than maybe you are at this point. Um, and our last question of the day comes from Max, uh, and he says, will the Red Sox ever lose again? What do you think, Keaton? Seems unlikely. Yeah. Uh, we just shook the eight ball. Forecast <laughs> seems unlikely. All right. Well, that's our show today. We appreciate you joining us. We went a little bit long today, but, you know, there was just so much positive, awesome stuff to talk about, which is just very refreshing after two mediocre years uh, for this baseball team. One really bad one. Uh, We appreciate you joining us. Check out our other shows on the network, the Precap Show, previewing and recapping uh, upcoming series, the Red Sox on Deck podcast with Shelly Verstreet and Bob Osgood looking at the minor leagues, Uh, and then... Uh, the Over the Monster podcast with Matt Collins and Brian Joyner as well. Thank you so much for listening. Follow us on Twitter. You can find Keaton at the Spoken Keats. You can find me at Dev Jake, and you can find the Over the Monster account at Over the Monster. We appreciate you making us part of your routine, and we'll be with you again next week. Thanks a lot.